Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me as always is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. Now, in case this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. Uh, I write for autoguide.com, and you can also see me doing some goofy stuff on video over there. Ben, he also writes for Autoguide, but he also writes for a bajillion other sites. Ben, can you tell me what other sites you write for again? Uh, you can find me on Driving Line, New York Daily News, European Car, and um, did you say Autoguide? Yeah, of course I said Autoguide. Then I can just say it again, Autoguide and uh, Autoblog now, which is fun. And Ben and I, we love to talk to you about some of the latest new cars that have been hitting the roads, but we also love to bring in some guests. And today is one of those days where we bring in a guest. Today, we have Bradley Iger, who is um, a freelancer. And some of his stories I've seen on Digital Trends. Is that right, Brad? Yeah, Auto Week and Hot Rod and a few other places. European Car with Ben also. Always Wicked. always together, never separate bylines. <laughs> <laughs> And we brought we brought Brad on for one specific reason. He drove a very exclusive, interesting, and very expensive vehicle. Brad, what did you drive? Uh, I drove the Aventador uh, Super Veloce Yota um, uh, SVJ. Yota, wonderful. <laughs> Is, did you say yeah? Yota? No, <laughs> that's how you pronounce J in the in the Italian. All right. So yeah, Yota or Yota? Yota, like J O. I'm glad we're focusing on this. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, this is a one, this is only 900 versions of this car will exist, and it's currently the fastest car around the Nürburgring, or production car around the Nürburgring, is that right? It is, yeah. Okay, so what did you get to do with this thing? Did you get to take it to the Nürburgring? Uh, no, they, they flew us out to Portugal, and we drove it on the Estoril, um, which used to be a Formula One track back in the 80s and 90s, and you know that was... For us, that was exclusively what we did with it. Was just a bunch of track sessions with it. Very so there cool. Was no street driving at all. Not for us. I think there were some other folks on different waves who got to do you know an hour or two on on the roads with it. But okay. our our waves were specifically track stuff. And I've driven the uh, the the normal Aventador and the new Aventador S a couple of times, and it's a very uh, hardcore vehicle. It's it's not for everybody, that's for sure. It's huge, it's not very refined, but boy, does it sound good, and it goes pretty quick. What is so, what's the big deal with this SVJ? Yeah, what's the Yota what, part? What, well, where does the Yota come in? So, you know, they made the Super Veloce um, back in 2015, and this kind of takes um, that, that idea, you know, of a tr you know, track-honed Aventador to the next level in terms of sort of incorporating a lot of the stuff that they introduced on the Huracan Performante, um, like the active aero system. And, mm. you know, obviously, you know, there's a little more, you know, a little more aerodynamic bits in, in the car that are, you know, to bolster down for us. It, it makes a little more power. I think it makes 759 horsepower now um, in, in, you know, North American standard, um, you know, grippier tires. So you can get your FAORs on it. Um, in, in that a bunch of little small things, nothing dramatically different about the car in terms of like you know it's, it's more or less the same motor, same suspension setup, um, and four wheel steering that you get on the Aventador S, that sort of stuff. But it, it, all of it improved a little bit. 
So how much how much does it improve the price? Like is it I'm I'm assuming it's significantly more expensive? And, it's and part actually of the... not that much more expensive than an Aventador S. Mm-hmm. I mean none of them are cheap, but <laughs> it's, it's five hundred and fifty thousand dollars or so is what it goes for. Okay, um, which is I mean a lot, but when you look at like an, a you know a McLaren Senna, which is a million dollars, and these cars have you know similar levels of performance, it's kind of a bargain in that regard. So it, it's interesting that you bring up the Senna. How, Sammy, how many Senna's are built? Do you know? Uh, uh Put, I don't put know. you on the spot. Is, is, <laughs> I didn't know we were going to talk about the Senna. Do we think? Numbers, do we though. think that this? Let's just say, do we think that the Senna's there's as many? You said 900 versions of the SVJ. Uh huh. Yeah. So do we think there's 900 Senna's, or is it, or is it less? Silence. Total silence. Okay. Well, in, in the face of us not knowing oh, something wait, wait. we're supposed I, to know. Wikipedia Wikipedia says 500. Okay. So, because I was just curious, you know, it's so much more money. Like you said, the performance is similar. There had to be that exclusivity thing. Because, I mean, the SVJ is already exclusive, and then you have the Senate, which is even more exclusive. And then I guess if you want to be more exclusive than that, you just buy a Koenigsegg. Like, that's the natural progression. Uh, an Agrera or something, Sammy? Certainly. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, one thing I would just point out is just that, you know, I, I think that for a lot of these companies, the production like you know cap is really more based on how many they think that they're able to sell versus you know making it something that people want really badly and not not produce enough of. Um, they made less of the the Super Veloce in 2015 that they've made it than the making of this car. So huh, if you really think about it, the, the SV is actually more exclusive. Wow. Well, it, okay. So what was it like to drive? Yeah, why are we talking about production numbers and all sorts of boring Because we're stuff? all getting old, and this is, when the most, <laughs> this is the most fascinating part of automotive when, industry now. When Brad has the SVJ on the track, and this is one of the fastest cars on racetracks. Come on, man. I need to hear about this thing. Was it fast? Did it feel confidence-inspiring, or was it just like big and intimidating and loud and brash? How many times did you die? <laughs> you know, blind. actually, it's... It's it's surprisingly you know easy to drive on track. I mean, it, you know, there's a reason why they were able to pull a 644 on the Nurburgring, and it's because the car performs really well on track. The same things that you sort of notice about like the standard Aventador are still there. It's the same gearbox. So part of I think what makes those cars intimidating is is how brutal that that gearbox is. It's fast when you're you know near redline and you know you you're just upshifting at full throttle. Um, but like the actual gear changes themselves feel like you're getting kicked in the back. <laughs> and like, I think that that sort of lack of refinement makes the car more dramatic to drive, but not necessarily faster. Um, mm-hmm. There are, there were certain corners where you kind of wanted to, to grab a gear before you meet before you're at red line, because you saw that you were going to run out of gear at a corner exit. So I would go for instance, from second to third mid corner to, to give myself more room and, the gearbox kind of punishes you for that because if you do any shifts that aren't at that criteria where you're you know at full throttle near redline, um, the gearbox is just super slow, um, mm-hmm. and so you get this huge gap in in power um, that's like really noticeable and like it feels like the car is like scolding you for not doing what it wants you to do. Well, what is it um, like? What is it like when you're downshifting into a corner? You say it's so abrupt. So if if you're under full braking and 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 you downshift at I, I'm assuming near redline for the gear you're about to grab. Does that unsettle the car at all? No, I mean downshifts. It's actually pretty good. You don't really notice a, a huge jump in. You know, there's not like a, a big impact like you get with upshifts. Okay. Um, it's it's fine. But you do notice going from like you know the so on that on the main straight, 
um, before you hit turn one, you're going about 175 miles an hour in that car. And so you're, and, and it's a slow corner. Um, you know, I, I know Ben's been there before. It's, it's, you know, you're, you're going about 50 or 60 miles an yeah, hour. Yeah, you, you got to haul corner. down or, or you're going to be right in the sand. Yeah. And I mean, when I drove the Aventador S at, at Auto Club out here in Fontana, you know, one thing I noticed there was that, you know, after you go around the oval there and you, and you slow down for the first corner, which is also a slow corner, that, you know, you're unloading where all the weight is in that car and it feels and the back end starts to get a little bit light. And even though the, the SVJ has all of this arrow on it, it does the same thing where you're like, Oh, for a split second, you're kind of like, uh, what's the rear end going to do? It gets light and just a little bit twitchy. And if there's like a groove in the road, it can be a little bit disconcerting for a split second. It's so wide too. Like to have a car yeah. that's that wide moving around on you is, is always disconcerting. I would think. It is a big car. There's there's no way around it. It's definitely it's a surprise to see that that car is the fastest car around the, the Nurburgring right now. Just because you would assume something smaller and lighter would would do it, but I mean it, it just it pays testament to how good the four wheel steering is, how good that active aero system is, mm-hmm. and how good that V12 is, which sounds really good in this particular model because they used a different exhaust system on it, Ooh. and it's it's louder and, and just thinner and as, as far as like the actual uh, material walls so it's it's just you know it, it sounds like a formula one car going <laughs> down the main straight it's it's a naturally aspirated engine right yeah mm. it's a naturally aspirated b12 i think it's a six liter or 6.5 something like that 6.5 there's not a lot say. of those left in the supercar world i mean no there isn't i i can't think of too many offhand that are in the same class as the lamborghini uh, it's just everything's moving to either the crazy hybrid systems that we're starting to see, or we're, we're just getting turbo cars, um, which I'm, which is not to say this is neither good good nor bad. I mean, Sammy knows how I feel about exotics in general, but the idea that a car like the Lamborghini, which is using, uh, let's face it, old technology in the in the drivetrain, something we've talked about in the past when talking about the Aventador, is able to kick so much supercar butt on the Nurburgring is pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, their, their chief technical officer w- was talking about this at, the, at their, you know, at the debriefing and, and during their presentation when they were introducing the car to us. And, you know, one thing he said is that we're I am always going to fight to keep this car, you know, the flagship naturally aspirated. Um, the way he phrased it made it sound like there was a possibility that it would be supplemented by some other extra, you know, electric motor in the future or something like that. But that the motor itself was going to be naturally aspirated forever. Um which, you know, everyone was really stoked to hear. Because, yeah, I mean, the car sounds fantastic. The, the throttle response is instantaneous. Um, it does the things that you want that engine to do. And if you can make that power without having to add force induction, why wouldn't you? You know, it, yeah, it, exactly. it saves weight and, you know, it, it's sim- it's simpler. It's definitely simpler. And and a vehicle like that is so low low volume that they don't really have to worry about fuel mileage. Right, Exactly. This is uh, an interesting car because it uses this new active aerodynamic system that was first seen on the uh, Huracan Performante, which I had the chance to drive. But one of the cool things about this, this active aerodynamics is, is unlike other active aerodynamic systems, it doesn't like move around. It doesn't like you don't see it in action. It's a very unique system. Is that the same case with the SVJ as well? Yeah, it's the you know I don't remember exactly what the acronym stands for, but it's called the ALA system. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what's interesting about it is that, like you said, it's not it doesn't move the body comp- the the body components are are fixed you know mm-hmm. where they are. Um, it uses it like um, sort of like funnels throughout the the car and and sort of uh, electrically active you know actuated 
flaps that sort of open up these different ducts that force air into different places, depending on driver inputs and, and what you want the car to do. So you have this system called basically, you know, that they've capped, you know, or called aero vector vectoring, um, where, you know, let's say you're going into a, cor a fast corner, like a sweeper or something like that. It can see sense that, you know, by, you know, you know, different sensors on the car and sort of funnel air towards the outside wheel to give that wheel more downforce to sort of press the car into the corner. Um, so you don't need as much steering input to get through it. So your speeds can be faster. I think that's really ingenious. It's a really clever way to avoid the complexity and added weight of um, some of the bigger, more like, you know, those more dramatic looking um, aerodynamic systems. Well, if, and if, you get, if you get too dramatic with aero, then you're not going to get that Nürburgring time because you're going to have too much drag. I mean, look at what Viper tried to do with the ACR at the Nürburgring. And that car, even I believe even in its most aerodynamically slippery form is a 176 mile an hour car. So when you get to those longer straights, the the, the inability to push past that chunk of air is really going to hurt your times. Wow, that's yeah. really significant. Holy cow. The top speed of the Aventador SVJ is what, 217 or something? Yeah, I think it's two, they, they estimated it at 220, a little more than, wow. than the SV. But what's interesting is that one of the ways they got there, I mean, aside from just sheer horsepower, is that that same um, active aero system can take, uh, can basically stall the rear wing by nullifying its downforce when you're when you're doing you know a top speed kind of deal. That's and pretty amazing. Yeah, you know, so it basically nullifies the drag you know created by the rear wing using that active aero system. Ben, do you want to hear how crazy that is? It can go from full downforce to no downforce in under in, in half a second. Well, you don't want it to take like more than that, right? Like you don't, you, you never want to be in between. <laughs> that's that's the thing. You need to know what you've got. <laughs> that, that's absolutely insane. Now, here's the thing, Brad. I've heard a lot of people say that the um, the Huracan Performante is one of the most perfect cars out there. But to take the Aventador and give it that same um, aerodynamic treatment and it has more power, it's more dramatic looking, is this... Oh, really? Is this like a perfect supercar? Well, I mean, I think that the Performante works better as a road car just because that gearbox is just so much more sophisticated than the one in the, in the Aventador. And mm -hmm. also, I mean, it's just it, since it's smaller, it's just sort of easier to live with um, in general. I mean, I think that if you were going for if you wanted, obviously, a track car that's just going to perform that it's you know, the highest capability of what Lamborghini can build for a road car. Obviously, you need to get the Aventador SVJ, but I, the Performante is not far behind that. Three seconds on the Nurburgring, you know, when it's at six and you know, almost a seven-minute lap, is not a ton of time. And so you're, I mean, I think for most drivers, you will get every bit the same amount of performance out of that car as you would an SVJ. But if you want to be able to say you have the fastest car, you know, production car in the world right now, that you have no other option but to get that Aventador. Yeah, the bragging rights are are included as part of the package. And, you know, I, I want to state that something that I always say when we talk about Nürburgring times. Historically, uh, it's very difficult to compare them because it's really a function of tire in a lot of cases. And a lot of those older cars that set records were running on rubber that's nowhere near being competitive today. So uh, that's something to take into account. But I think when we're talking about the SVJ, th th you said they were Trofeo tires, Brad? Well, the one, the one that... that 
you know, set the Nurburgring time was on Trofeo R's. Um, yeah, the so that's that a, they had us on, you know, driving did not have those. They had the the P0 Corsas. Okay, so so the Trofeo R, it's not like it's a fantasy tire that only belongs to Lamborghini. So it, it is possible for it, it's it's not like they have the the monopoly on this level of grip. So I think it's it's more of an accomplishment uh, in the modern context. Certainly, I mean, I think that that tire, you know, is pretty close to. You know, getting you know, getting to an R compound where it's not it's it's, it's a street tire. It, it's a it's a like competition tire with a DOT rating as opposed to being a good grippy road tire. So yeah. a lot of it is sort of to set these times. And those tires probably last two thousand miles on a road car. Um, <laughs> well, who's driving their Lamborghini two thousand miles a year? There's like five guys in the in the Gold Rush Rally. Who are who are irritated by how often they go through trofeos and everyone else is like that eh, whatever they're gonna dry rod in the garage before that happens. <laughs> I mean, I th- you know it, it is it's a tire that a lot you know that and like the the cup you know Michelin's Cup Two are are tires that a lot of manufacturers look to when they want to set these times. But I mean, it, it ends up being sort of a cheater slick where you know you can take a, a Camaro you know a fifth gen Camaro and make it as fast as like a Ferrari four five eight just by putting trofeo <laughs> R's on it. You yeah, know. those tires are outstanding. Those Cup Twos are incredible too. I've I've driven those on a bunch of GMs and uh, the the Corvettes and the Camaros, and it's it, it's a pretty amazing tire. Yeah, and I mean they make they do a lot for these cars in terms of lap times. Is this the uh, is this the fastest car you've driven or the most impressive car that you've driven? I mean it's I mean as far as like sheer straightaway speed, I mean mm-hmm. it's definitely the fastest I've ever been on a racetrack. Was um, it fun? Was it fun though? Yeah, no, I mean, it's fun. It's, it, you know, the car's loud, it, you know, the gearbox is dramatic, and, you know, it it, it it puts out a lot of pace. And, you know, Estoril is a fun track for you because it is, it's so varied, and there are very fast parts of it. And, uh, you know, it gets to sort of utilize um, all the elements of that car that are, that make it interesting. Like the four-wheel steering, you can feel it working going around some of those sweepers. That ALA system, you can feel it in the in the fast corners. Whereas, you know, with the Purple Monte, when I drove that on track, it was at Thermal Club here, here in Southern California. And that's a fun track, but there aren't really any corners there in the, on the south course that we used um, that really take advantage of that AWA system. You need to, you know, I asked Lamborghini about this when I was there. That system's not even functional at any speed under 70 miles an hour. <laughs> so you have to be going, you know, 80, 100 miles an hour, 110 for that system really you know, be put into use, especially with the aerial vectoring system. So, you know, it's a cool, it's a cool talking point, but if you don't have a track that actually utilizes that, you know, those elements where you have fast, fast sweepers, like you'd have on like, you know, Big Willow or something like that, um, you're not going to really get the benefits of it. So I was glad to, to get to see all of that at this track because that track is, you know, it, it makes you work for, for fast lap times. I'm sure. I'm sure, yeah. I mean, uh, having the M5 there, the car was so heavy. Being at the end of that front straight <laughs> and uh, going for the brake was was not something that. Yeah, I, 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 we talked about this in a past podcast, but one of the things I noticed um, when I was on the track, and I don't know if you noticed this too, Brad, but we had a lead follow session where the I would I would be on the pits and I I'd be watching the the professional race driver who was doing leading the session before I would say maybe like. Uh, 400 feet before the corner. I'm going to use feet because you're American and I don't want to confuse you. But uh, he would he would tap the brakes, 
And um, I, I, at the time, I was trying to figure out why he was doing that. And, and I started to think, well, you know, it's a really long straight. Maybe it's so the person immediately behind him doesn't get hypnotized by what's happening ahead, sees the brake lights and realizes I have to brake soon. But I also realized that thinking back on it now, you're at full throttle for so long on that straight. You want to make sure you still have vacuum for the assist on the brakes <laughs> if you are if you have a vacuum-assisted system instead of a hydraulic system or an electric system or however you're boosting it. But you also want to make sure you actually have brakes and that yeah. you're going to stop. So it, it's it's that's how long that front straight is. Yeah, wow. no, I mean, on, you know, you know, the sessions that we were doing toward the end of the day, you know, before we got in the car, you know, the guys sort of setting up the car were like, you know, if you don't have brakes the first on the first pump, pump it again. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I had I, I had the same thing. I had I, I the pedal went right to the floor for me in the car at the end of that straight, and it was it was scary. And then I pumped a couple more times and it came back, but it gets your attention really fast. <laughs> wow. The, the pedal definitely got deeper and deeper as as the day went on. I never, you know, I did it didn't go quite to the floor, um, but you know, you could tell that it was definitely making the cars work. That that corn that straight away in particular i mean you're, you're scrubbing off more than 100 miles an hour of speed every time you're going through there and yeah i mean it, it definitely makes the car work and i mean they say that the dry weight of this car is i think 1525 kilograms which is under 3400 pounds but you know all in in like american spec the car is probably closer to 3700 pounds which is not a featherweight you know it'll no. you know that's a lot of weight to bring down from 175 miles an hour repeatedly Yes, definitely. And did you did you guys change tires throughout the day? No, I don't think that they. I don't think so. I mean, I didn't see them changing any tires. But you know, the other thing is that Astoro was repaved two weeks before we got there, and you'd expect, at least I assumed, that that would actually translate to more grip. But it's actually less grip because there's not like a coating of rubber on the mm -hmm. track yeah. that you can use. So it's actually kind of slippery, which is good for tire wear in terms of you know it's not going to just dig in and, and just pull chunks out of the tire. Yeah. But you know, it did. You know, it, it does keep you on your toes because there's it, the lateral grip is not there as much as it is you would expect it to be with fresh pavement. And and the uh, the weird thing about Estoril is the previous paved job was very very rocky. Uh, it was something that was mentioned to us when we were at the track. They they have sand that blows across the track all the time, uh, which doesn't help with tire wear either. But mm -hmm. the other thing was they said, okay, so it's it's kind of like there's there's it's a gritty type of pavement, so it's going to eat tires like crazy. And they were changing tires quite often on the M5s when we were there. So it's it's nice that they've gotten rid of that. Yeah, no, I, I think that if they get a few races in there, or you know, just a month or two of track days, it, that that it'll be about back up to snuff. But I remember Lamborghini being kind of annoyed by the situation because they were like, well, it's not going to have as much grip as you'd expect it to being, you know, the, the Nürburgring king at this point. But for <laughs> me, I thought it was kind of fun because, you know, the tires are screaming through every corner. You're not really you're not getting understeer or oversteer too much unless you really want it. But the tires are always talking, which makes it seem more dramatic. It makes yeah. it more fun. It certainly looks cooler on video. I, that you know what else looks cool on video, and I hope you've uploaded this to YouTube so we can link to it. Is all the hair flipping that that happened on on your labs, which no, is no, 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 it's only on Facebook, so that only my friends can can make fun of my hair flipping. All right, all right, well that's probably for the best. Was well, Sammy? You you drove a car this week that uh, wasn't in Portugal and wasn't 200 miles an hour, but is definitely performance oriented and kind of in a weird way. Uh, what what was that that you were driving? It was it's actually um. Maybe more exclusive than what Brad drove. I drove a new Alpina B7, which is um, specific for the Canadian market. It's one of 21 and actually one of seven in the particular paint scheme that I have. Uh, Brad, have you ever driven an Alpina? I haven't. Me neither. 
This is basically a fancy, very special, exclusive version of the BMW 7 Series. Now, Alpina used to be um, a bit of a tuner company for BMW. They specialized in making, um, I believe, upgrading the, what is it now, the carburetors and crankshafts of these old cars. And they also used to go racing with with, um, with Alpina. They were like racing partners. And nowadays, you can actually get your Alpina straight from BMW. They're made right there in the same factory. And then new Alpina parts are slapped on. And this is a, I don't know how to describe it because it's, not nearly as as interesting or as exclusive or as luxurious as, as I thought it would be. This, let's see here. It uses the, I don't even know where to begin here. Let's start under the hood. <laughs> All right. Under the hood is a 4.4 liter twin turbo V8 similar to what's used in the M5. It makes 600 horsepower. It does 0 to 60 in 3.7 seconds, 3.6, 3.7 seconds. And... That's fast. Like, that's very, very, very fast. Well, it's a huge car, too. It's a limousine. Essentially, it's a limousine. It's got an extended wheelbase so that the people in the back seats, who are very well uh, taken care of back there, um, they can can stretch their legs out. But was I expecting this car to be like an M vehicle? And, And, you know, I recently drove an M5, and I was actually baffled by how much performance is available in it, but at the same time, I was really con- uh, upset at how many options you have to dial in. Did this Alp- What did this Alpina do? It, it simplified things quite a bit. It, was, it had a sport mode, it has a comfort mode, and those two things are very, very different. The comfort mode is, is absolutely perfect. I loved it to death. This car could ride over the roughest pavement. And that's despite the fact that it uses 21-inch, these very special 21-inch Alpina wheels, which look gorgeous. It's how you know that you're driving something special. These big old wheels. Um, and you would never notice. You'd think you're driving on on really knobby, like, big old tires. It's very interesting how they managed to make such a, a stiff-looking or or sporty looking wheel drives so comfortably and that that goes to the bmw 7 series benefit so sammy i want to back you up to what's going on under the hood because you said it is a uh it's a similar engine to the m5 mm-hmm. it's a v8 it's a twin turbo and it's 600 horsepower yep okay so the m760 which yeah. is this is which... a, this is an important part of this conversation now bmw makes a top of the line 7 series which this alpina is based on but uses a different engine the M760 uses a 12-cylinder engine. That Twin also, turbo as well. That also makes somewhere near 600 horsepower. 601 horsepower. Okay. In your face, Alpina B7. <laughs> it's a tiny bit slower as far as I understand. Uh, it, it, could, it could be. I mean, I, I think at this point, whoever's launching their... <laughs> their full-size limousine at the drag strip i don't know like if that's a driver's race yeah the b7 versus the m760 i've driven the m760 and it is uh surprising doesn't even begin to cover how fast the car feels right and that's that's pretty much the same reaction i would say when you put this car in sport mode and you put your foot down you end up realizing how quickly you're going in such a big vehicle it's it's concerning it's ridiculous it, it's it and it makes you ask why because like you said yeah. this is the kind of car that is intended you know to have someone riding around in the back so it, the M760 when i drove it the first thing i thought was is who wants their chauffeur to have this level of power on their off days like it just seems it's 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 also a little bit the the alpina is 20 grand cheaper than the uh, M760, I think. The, the M760 is five, 156,000, 
Yeah. And the, the Alpine is, what, 132? Some, somewhere yeah. around there. 139, sorry. So it's like about 15 grand difference. So now, it's just, who who are these buyers? That's I, what I, I don't get. I, this is the whole point of, this is the, the difficulty I'm having with the Alpina B7. I have I have literally no idea who would buy this car. And I don't understand who would buy the M760 either. But the Alpina is a far more exclusive vehicle. It's for somebody, for whatever reason, thinks that the 7 Series uh, and the, the M760 is just not um, interesting or special enough. Well, now, you know the, the thing. The, the other thing about the M760, that drivetrain is the same one that's in the Wraith, I believe. Yeah. The Rolls-Royce Wraith. Who, that tw- you're right. That 12-cylinder is a Rolls-Royce like derived engine. Who well, other way that? around, but yeah. Sorry, the other way around. It's 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 used in, in Rolls Royces. Who will look at that and say, Yeah, that's not gonna work so well for me. I'd rather go with <laughs> the B seven. So, so Bra- Brad, would that- you rock a B seven? Um, well, here's my question. So mm-hmm. in the M760, did you have two drive modes or was it more complicated like the M5 was? I think I mean, it, I, it, it wasn't as complicated as the M5, but it, it had multiple drive modes. I'm looking right. back on my notes right now because I drove it last year uh, and I, re- I remember how quick it was. I mean, I, I could not forget about that, but it, it wasn't nearly as like Nintendo Konami code as the M5. Right. Yeah, I, I guess I'm just wondering who's responsible for you know that element of, <laughs> of simplifying it because you know th- they never made a proper M version of of the seven series, so no. it seems like Alpina might have taken you know sort of the uh, software that that BMW already had sort of ready to go and and sort of applied it to their their engine and their and their set- setup. So the simplicity might just be, you know, inherent to the seven series as opposed to being something that Alpina sort of incorporated. Yeah, I think you're I think you're right. I think you're right. And and I think the only reason that M is in front of 760 now is because they they didn't think that a 12 cylinder was enough of an impressive thing to get butts and seats. Uh, Remember when it was just like the S600, you know, and the Mm -hmm. and the the M7 or just the BMW 750 was the old V12 name. I think that the M is just there for I think it's entirely branding. I don't think it's necessarily performance. I think the B7 is more performance. but yeah, I'm uh, not. Sh- I'm not so sure about that. I understand. Just like the- image-wise, maybe. Yeah, I think image-wise, it 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 gives off this appearance of being a really badass vehicle in a way that this, an M760 doesn't doesn't do. Um, one thing I wanted to add was that I believe the M760 has a track mode or a track button, and this uh, Alpina B7 definitely does not. It is definitely gotcha. made for the for the road, and it feels like that. When you want to go fast, it goes fast. When you want to slow it down, it is unbelievably comfy. The M760 the does the quarter mile in 11.7, <laughs> and the Alpina is the Alpina is a little bit faster. <laughs> That's the rocket ship. They're absolutely that is crazy. The rocket ship. Now here's the thing. One more element that I didn't. I didn't know how to feel. In fact, I'm going to be blunt with you. I didn't like was the interior of this car. It's it's it feels very normal seven series. So I know that's a that's not a a that's not exactly a dig. But when your competition comes from Mercedes, that S class is so hard to beat, especially if you see one in that Designo, um out a package with those gorgeous leather seats and and dashboard it's so hard for me to to think that something can be better than that and this alpina b7 is really not there does the does the b7 can you get it with the rear executive lounge seating package that's the one that i have it has these two lounge seats they have massage functions and it's pretty nice back there man i don't know if if it's worse than the mercedes in the rear it's 
Not, I, I do think it's not as good as the, the Mercedes yeah. in, in the rear. It also has All a right. removable tablet that can control the, yeah, the that's, seats individually. It is so slow. It is <laughs> so slow. <laughs> and it's not an iPad. That's actually one thing that a lot of people have looked at when they when they got back in. They're like, oh, it's an iPad. Oh, wait, it's, no, it's not. It looks like, an, uh, like a like it's a, a Samsung. Samsung. It's a yeah. Samsung Galaxy. And they're like, wow, yeah. I pay. How much is this car? And they couldn't just... It's an M M Samsung. <laughs> yeah, Alpina Alpina Samsung. An M pad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I like the car in the back. Uh, I'm not a big seven series fan because I don't think the overall package is as luxurious as the as the S class, like you say. Mm-hmm. But I I kind of don't really get the the um the positioning of a sporty car that's this big when a vehicle like the M5 already exists. I, I think the the M760 and the um, B7 exist in kind of a weird netherworld, where very much like the SVJ, if you want to have the most expensive seven series, these are the cars you look at. Exactly. It's not, necessi- it's not necessarily because of what they bring for you. It's 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 the it's the curb appeal. And I mean, the Alpina has a very it has a unique badge all around. It's this uh, it's actually a really cool badge it shows in that, that you have to explain to every single exactly. person you meet for your the rest of your life. And I understand. I think that's that's the key here is that you've got this car that you have to explain to people and i think there's some there's some element of automotive enthusiasm who enjoys that enjoys doing something like that it's like driving a hearse <laughs> no. everyone's like why are you driving no that's i'm not i'm not saying that that, that was a terrible comparison i'm just saying <laughs> it's a car you have to explain it's a car right. you know, like driving here. a K car. Let's let's put it that way. No, that's even worse. <laughs> I'm really really explain. stepping on myself here. <laughs> All right, I'm just gonna stop talking. The, you know, you asked earlier if I would if I would take a, a, a B7 over the the M760. Um, I think that you know, 10 20 years ago, when these aftermarket tuners were, were building these cars, they could do really substantial things to them that the factories couldn't do or wouldn't you know wouldn't do to them. Right. Um, you know, now when you look at companies like Dynan and Callaway and all these, you know, aftermarket tuners who've been doing this for a really long time, um, they're becoming less and less relevant over time because oh, yeah. the factory is building so much, you know, more, you know, potent machines at this point, and they, with right, warranties, right, <laughs> and that have R and D behind them that these smaller companies just can't do. So, I mean, not only I, I would take the M760, not only because you know I would want the V12 because it just has a it's a more exclusive experience. It's just cooler to have a V12. Right. Um, uh, but also because I feel like it would just be a little bit uh, better vetted. Um, you know, when I drove Dynan's, you know, version of an M5 before the M5 came out, I remember thinking like, yeah, I mean, this is quicker than the M550 this is based on, but it's not, you know, as fast as they say it is. Mm-hmm. And it didn't feel as well-rounded. And then I drove the M5 and I was like, yeah, this is, this is what you would want it to be. Um, I think that those cars, you know, a lot of what these aftermarket companies are doing right now is just sort of banking on the exclusivity and banking on, you know, the the window of time between when the mid-range, you know, model comes out for for a you know a car, um, and when you know the M, you know, M5 or you know, AMG or whatever, um, you know, is is put out. So they so they, they live they, in, they live in that window of opportunity. Right. They fill in a yeah. gap that you know before the the, the factory can do it. And that's that's what makes the B7 even weirder because it's built on the same assembly line as the BMW 7 series. Like it's yeah. it they're they're in house and yet they still have this sort of not really a 7 series car. It's just yeah. it's it's I you know 
maybe there's a world where they can obviously they can sell 21 of these a year because they made 21 and like you were saying earlier brad that's they they build as many as they can sell right uh i don't know if that's enough to keep alpina in business like, on a yeah. regular bit i don't know how what their break even is on on their entire company but it just seems strange like we are very much past that world and uh the cachet of this name the alpina name i don't know how much it really holds sway over mm-hmm. people who are spending 140 grand on a on an executive sedan yeah, you kind of wonder why this isn't just like a package on top of exactly. you know, your yeah. 7 series. Yeah, exactly. But I do want to double down on what I said earlier. The thing that I bug- that bugged me the most about the M vehicles is that you have to dial in this whole moment when you're about to be like, now is the moment I go from just driving a normal sedan and let me boop, beep, boop, and now I'm in a sports car. Like, I have to press a bajillion button. This Alpina did not need any of When I put it in sport, the car automatically lowers. It gets all rumbly and uh, and stiff. Does like an to... arm reach out and put sunglasses on you on you <laughs> yeah. like uh, like from the side, and then like it changes to some rad tunes. Exactly. Like... Yes. Danger Zone. Kenny Loggins <laughs> starts playing. It it is a little bit more simpler in that way that I and I appreciated that. It makes me feel like uh, like like uh, Alpina gets the message there. Uh, I, I'm also... gonna I'm gonna totally digress for a second, Sammy, and interrupt you, but. Uh, on most modern BMWs and a few other coupes, there's this uh, the two door cars have this like skeletal plastic arm that comes out of the B pillar to yep. push the seatbelt towards you. Yep. And what I want is someone like in the MakerBot world to like modify that so it hands you sunglasses every time you get in, in and out of the car, and then just withdraws. You can put them in there and it goes back in a compartment inside the B pillar. That would be amazing. Why isn't that a feature? You need to patent that before anybody else does. I don't know. I'm I'm afraid. It, I'm afraid that if I patented, the robots will will eliminate me because they want their robot patent. But uh, free idea to anyone who's not afraid of the robots. <laughs> uh, one thing worth pointing out, um, and something I really liked about the new M5 is that they have um, sort of preset buttons, like preset yeah. M buttons on the steering the wheel. There's two yeah. of them. Yeah, which for me, you know, I basically had, you know, a I'm driving around town button and exactly. I'm going to drive the hell out of this car button. And, you know, I just switched off between them. And it's kind of nice because they're right there on the steering wheel, even, you know, before they had M buttons, but they were either on the center console or somewhere where you had to sort of hunt for them. But now they were programmable right there. either, right? The early M buttons, yeah. I think yep. they were th- they were set from the factory. Yeah. Now, the, and now they're custom presets, so you can just do whatever you want with it so you can sort of make it your best of. M performance button on the right hand side, and then your I don't want to think about anything. I want to drive around town, right. you know, comfortably button on the on the left hand side. It's so crazy that like we're driving a car now and it has a preset button, like it's some piece of audio gear or like uh, a phone or something, and and it's like here's all the features you really like that you can't get just by turning the car on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but you know, it's it, it did. It did perform like a 7 Series and then a, a, a little step above it. Is it as good as the M760? I'm not sold on that yet. And I think people who have the M760 will really appreciate the 12-cylinder and the extra exclusivity that comes with that vehicle. And it's a bit more of a, rec- a, a more broadly recognized uh, exclusivity in a way that the Alpina B7 just isn't. You're going to have to explain that to people. And I don't think I don't know if that's luxurious or not. That's, well, what that's we need not is my the, experience. We need the MB7. That's obviously the answer. Yeah. <laughs> It's a V8 and a V12, <laughs> and you push a button on the bu- on the steering wheel, and you toggle back between how many cylinders you want. But both both deliver the same horsepower. 
I was hoping it's going to be like a Barris mobile where it was going to be two different engines, sort of like in in tandem, you know. <laughs> One, yeah. There's no instead of the executive seating package, you get the V12 seat, the V12 seat package, which is not really a seat. <laughs> um. Okay, Ben, you've got. You had a pretty good car too. Actually, a car that I'm I'm always excited to hear people talk about. You want to? Well, even... it's it's not nearly as fancy or as fast as. But what that we've doesn't been matter. About. That doesn't matter. Well, thank you for reaffirming me, Sammy. But I I, I my confidence comes from within, so uh, it's it's a wasted <laughs> effort. Um, the uh, I drove a 2018 uh, Jeep Wrangler, the uh, the JL, which was my first time. I have not had a chance to drive this yet. It's it's the completely redesigned Jeep that everyone was freaking out about because they thought Jeep was going to ruin everything and and the apocalypse would happen and the dinosaurs would rise from their coal. And, and take us all back into um, the center of the earth. But no, huh. none of that, none <laughs> of that occurred. Remember, I don't really back, remember that concern. But... Back to the center of the earth? We were in the center of the earth at some point? Don't, <laughs> don't pretend you don't understand where we came from, Brad. <laughs> that JL is so good. I love that it, Jeep. It's pretty damn good. It is, honestly, uh, it's, it's a lot easier to drive normally. I did not have a chance to off-road it because I did not have it for very long, just uh, three or four days in the city. But uh, what I was most curious about was how much does this feel like a Jeep and how much does this feel like uh, an actual car I'd want to drive? Because as much as the the JK was good, it's not the kind of car that is, was necessarily fun or forgiving on in the daily grind. It was very basic in some areas. And uh, the JL has really gone above and beyond. It's it's much smoother. The, the steering is better, yet it still feels like a, a Wrangler. I I didn't ever think that I was driving something that had been watered down. Brad, have you had a chance to spend time with it? Yeah, no, I operated with the Rubicon and I drove one of the non-Rubicon models on the road. Okay. Um, and I, the Rubicon was fantastic out on on you know out on the trails, and they they do a significant amount of modification for the Rubicon, like it's got bigger fenders, obviously, so suspension tweaks and, and you know, bigger t- wheels and tires. Um, it's just everything we threw at it. It was just absolutely effortless to get it to do it. And also, I mean, e- even on the Rubicon, it's really comfortable and it's got like a really nice, you know, infotainment system and it's super easy to drive. And like you said, you know, steering is good and it's not wayward. It was just a great Jeep. I mean, I would. It's, yeah, I, it's, it's semi wayward, but not as much as before. That's right. for sure. It certainly is not something where you have to be on your toes all the time while you're driving. No, and that was the case with the JK. Like on a on a highway trip on the JK, you had to be policing the steering wheel on a fairly regular basis. Uh, mm-hmm. On the JL, it's much less of that. And um, the other thing too is I I found that mine was an automatic with the the V6. There's a turbo four now that I have not had a chance to drive. I don't think they're out yet. Um, um, they're but... they're they're out here in America. Maybe I don't know if they're in Canada, but I, they're, they certainly had them. Um, at the program that we did, you know, well, I just meant on sale. I don't, I don't know if you can actually buy a, a four cylinder yet. Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay, but anyway, uh, there was enough power for me. Uh, the vehicle felt roomy enough inside. I hauled a bunch of tires in it. I, I mm. did what Sam, Sammy sent me a text in the middle of the night and said, "You need to haul tires tomorrow." And I was like, "Why, Sammy? Why?" And he's like, "Do not question your God." And so I just did it. And everything fit, but I will say this: the uh, I had a soft top on mine. <laughs> this I is could my not favorite fig- story. I, I could not <laughs> figure out how to open the soft top on the back, so I just popped the tailgate underneath, which swings out, and I slid the tires in like like curling uh, rocks or donuts. <laughs> 
up to the front of the the vehicle, and then I slid them out, and I probably hurt my back doing it. Oh. But uh, I I don't know. Maybe there's a way to. I couldn't find the zipper. I couldn't find the release. It was just. It was a mystery. I, I don't. Brad, uh, Sammy, I mean, do you? I saw them do it um, at, <laughs> at the presentation, but yeah, it did seem pretty pretty fussy. Like it was there was a it was a process for sure. Well, it's crazy a lot that, of speakers like, in there too. Yeah, and I mean, but it's interesting to see that like the car. You can really just take it apart with like a couple of hand tools. You know, like you can take the doors off, the roof comes off, even the front windshield folds down. I mean, they, they still have all those elements, and it's amazing yeah, it's, to it's, see that on like a modern car. I totally agree because we're 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 fed so many lines by designers and engineers saying, "Oh well, we can't do this, we can't do that because pedestrian safety regulations, and we have to have these crumple zones, and we have to have room for the radiator." And then the Jeep Wrangler comes out and it's like, "Hey, it looks exactly like it used to look in terms of general form factor." I guess all that other stuff we told you doesn't apply to the Jeep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, ben, I have a few. First of all, I remember when you when you sent photos of you putting uh, or of the the Jeep loaded with tires. I asked you about the tailgate because when I had it, I was like, I have no idea how to open this this hatch thing, and I don't know what to do. Did you figure it out? And you're like, No, I don't know how. So, and, and I want to I want to explain to everyone. It's not actually a hatch. It is a like a one piece fabric top that goes for. I had a four door, so it's pretty big. Okay. And it's it's like Sammy says. It's it's. It just seems like it's one piece in the back. It's not like you – the old ones you could, like, roll up kind of, and there were zippers and stuff. And this one is just like – it's like a Rubik's Cube, I guess, of – or I don't know how they expect you to do it. Ultimately, I was able to do what I needed to do, but, it, you know, it, it's on me. I'm not saying that it's a problem with the, the, J, the JL, but, uh, yeah, it wasn't obvious. Did you uh, consult the owner's manual? Uh, pass on answering that question. <laughs> And I was uh, I was excited to hear that you really enjoyed the the powertrain of this thing because you know I feel like I was worried that I that the powertrain is getting a little um, old. This is the Pentastar. We're very familiar with the Pentastar. It's not that not that there's anything wrong with it, but is there something that you'd like to see um, in addition to the Pentastar? Is a no, V8? No, I'm totally on... I'm totally fine. I don't need mm -hmm. a Hemi version of the Wrangler. I don't I think do. anyone does. Really? Well, Brad does because he wants to he wants to slam sideways into some type of like Walmart or I don't know tree on the trail or something. Uh, a a Hemi powered six speed Wrangler would be absolutely fantastic. I mean, it'd be total overkill on trails, but that yeah, would, would also be totally be really, would not expose really the limitations of the platform. <laughs> it would be absolute overkill. I mean, the four cylinder is more than enough to 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 move that thing around. Um, it would just be fun for the sound and just the crazy amount of torque that you'd have on tap. And also, and, I mean, if they made a six-speed version of it. Yeah, I mean, you'd have those super nice long throw shifts that everyone loves. Um, the <laughs> the the soft top's pretty pretty loud. I will yeah. say that when you're out in, in in traffic or like even if you're parked on the side of the road, it feels like you're in a convertible, like with the top down, kind of like it feels like everyone can hear what you're saying and you can hear everyone else. <laughs> on the highway, it's also it flaps around a little bit, not a lot. But uh, give it time, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but you can get a hardtop if you want it. And uh, like I was saying before, there's a ton of speakers. Like they're they're because you can take the doors off on the Wrangler. There's no real speakers in the doors, so they put them on this. It's like a superstructure that that holds the roof on. It's it's kind of like a fake roll cage. I don't know if it's actually. I guess I assume it has to be an actual roll cage given that it has a soft top. But uh, it has speakers attached to it that point downwards, and then there's big speakers in the cargo area. 
uh, on the model I had. I had a weird version. Mine was a Sport. I think it was a Sport S, but it had a ton of options. Like, it had the nicer stereo. It had um, climate controls that you shouldn't have had on a Sport. It had a bunch of other stuff on it, too. It had big plastic uh, fender flares and bumpers, though. So it's a, it was an interesting mix. I don't know who would order this vehicle, but it, it was great for, for commuting. I, I liked it a lot, and I, I could understand 100% why people buy it. That's one of my favorite things about the Jeep Wrangler is that it knows its customer very, like Jeep knows their customer specifically of the Wrangler so well that they managed to make this car better without um, changing the character and the dynamics of it in, in any way that would offend those people, I think. Well, but you, you certainly couldn't build a vehicle like the Wrangler if there wasn't a customer for That's it already. Right. <laughs> like you're yeah. not going to win customers with it. it and- it's It's... It, it's it's a sacred cow for Jeep too. It's the face of the brand. They know they can't screw it up because the enthusiast base is sort of what drives um, the brand reputation. Um, so yeah, you, you have, don't want you have to do the Wrangler right. You don't want to end up with like say the Blazer. Right. Oh, <laughs> don't even start me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and so now it's also worth pointing out that Jeep is going to expand the Wrangler lineup as we know it now. There's the the regular Jeep, and uh, that's a two-door, and then there's the Unlimited, which is a four-door. And we're also expecting them to bring out a pickup truck. Uh, I think it'll be called the Scrambler, but I'm not 100% certain on that. Are you what, about the six, what about the six-door? The six-door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I don't know anything about that, man. You were going to ask a question. Are you looking forward to a Jeep pickup? I don't know if looking forward to it is the word. Um, I mean, based on the based on how good they've how well they've done with this new Wrangler, I think the pickup will be very interesting. Oh, I think they'll definitely sell as many of them as they want to. Mm-hmm. Personally, I'm not sure if I would buy one because there's so many good pickups out there. It, it's kind of a lot of pressure on Jeep to to do it well right out of the box. I mean, they've got Ram engineers that they can turn to, but the Ram guys are going to look at that Jeep platform and and see nothing but limitations. So <laughs> it's like uh, it's going to be interesting to see what it's like. I, I assume it's just going to be like a regular Wrangler with an open cargo bed, and some people will want that. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be enough to pull people away from like a TRD Tacoma. That's that's I guess my my point. I mean I think that you know Fiat Chrysler doesn't really have anything else that competes in that space though, so it makes right. sense for them to have a four door Ranger well, competitor. The, the Durango know? is apparently coming. Sorry, the Dakota is apparently coming back. Uh, it was announced last week that they're going to build a, a midsize pickup. So, but again, I don't think this will compete with the Dakota. I think it's going to be its own thing. Are they going to be on different platforms? I thought they were going to be on the I same would, I would certainly hope so. What, the Wrangler platform? Mm-hmm. That they'd have a solid front axle in the Dakota pickup? I don't know, man. I thought that I would really That would really surprise me. I mean, I, I guess it could happen, but... Well, I, I mean, they don't necessarily have to use a solid rear axle just because they're using the same platform. They could they could adapt something else. Yeah, and at that point, I mean, how much Jeep's really in there? It would, yeah. it would be interesting. It would be interesting. I mean, what, what would also be interesting is if the Dakota was somehow a unibody pickup <laughs> based on the... <laughs> You know, like based on the Grand Cherokee platform or something. I mean, why not? Why not do something totally different from what everyone else is doing, which is what happened when the Dakota came out at, at first anyway, like 88 or 89, 87, right around there. And it was the only midsize truck on the market. So Chrysler, as we know, it is not afraid to take risks. And we know they have a limited amount of cash to develop stuff right now. So there will definitely be some parts bin stuff going on. And uh, I'm I'm curious to see what come. I'm actually more curious about the, the Dakota than I am about the the Jeep, because I think it's going to be more of a mass market thing. That's very interesting. Okay, so I found that automotive news piece about the Dakota, or whatever the next midsize Ram will be, and it is 
Um, it is based on the the Wrangler, or it's going to. It's also going to be built in the same uh, Toledo, Ohio plant. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. So that's a that's real. That's something to look forward to. Like I said, I am looking forward to what they can do here. Um, and if they can pull it off, it shows that um, they've got a really a really good group of, of guys working on, behind the Wrangler, behind the scenes of the Wrangler, who are not afraid to to really do something like this. You know, there's just one last thing I wanted to uh, bring up before we close things out for this week's show, um, if that's okay with you, Sammy. Yeah, I don't mind. Go for it, man. Uh, all right. I, I sold my WRX last week uh, to a friend of mine, and it, it's sad to see it go. It was time. Um, I'm going to miss it. But what well, this is kind of a funny story associated with it. When I bought the car, the center console of the of the Subaru was missing the button to to open it. It's just gone. Okay. And I never bothered to like put a screwdriver in there and mess around and, and get it open. So when I, I sold it to the guy, I'm like, hey, I don't know what's in there. <laughs> um, I've never opened it. So he gets it. He lives far north, like about eight nine hours, depending on how you're driving and what you're if you're in a bus or anyway, it's it's far in uh, Abitibi. Um, and he sends me a picture this week. They opened the console and there was an iPhone inside. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and and the the he, the iPhone was all cracked and smashed up and stuff. But they they haven't been able to. They don't have a cable for it. It's like an early iPhone. So who knows what's on there? But what I'm really hoping isn't on there is some kind of like Blair Witch style found <laughs> footage, uh, murder video, yeah. <laughs> or some kind of haunted iPhone. Anyway, I suppose since the car's out of my life, I don't really have to worry about that anymore. But I do care about my friend, and I prefer if he doesn't get possessed by the demon of iPhone's past. Well, I, mean, I thought that was a. F- it's not. It wasn't powered on, so I mean, maybe he should just uh, he should just not charge it up and just leave it as it was, right? Well, you could you say that, but I mean, I think Satan can always find the right cable if he really wants to. So, <laughs> I, I am just concerned. Well, you're gonna keep us updated on that, right? No, oh, yeah, totally. There's gonna be. I'm. I'm all about this haunted cell phone. Okay, that's that's my new. I mean, I'm starting a tum. Yeah, there's a t- haunted cell phone. Well, it, it, there's a <laughs> Tumblr and an Instagram account associated with it now, and we'll see what develops. Well, I mean, I would prefer it if our listeners who are interested in learning more about this haunted iPhone and all of the other cars that we've been driving, uh, check back with us on the Unnamed Automotive podcast website you can just go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com and while you're there you can subscribe to our podcast you can see all of our latest episodes and you can also subscribe in your favorite podcast client we are on spotify we're on itunes we're on google play music we're on pocket casts and cast box and whatever combination box cast yes um additionally you can catch up with us on Twitter or Instagram. I prefer Twitter. You can find me at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And, and uh, find- I, I'm I'm on Instagram because Twitter is a cesspool, so you can find me at Hunting Benjamin. That's- or you can email me the old-fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Or you can even go to UnnamedAutomotivePodcast.com where we have a feedback page where you can send us your thoughts, comments, complaints, suggestions for Sammy's um, future f- future what, Sammy? Uh, exactly. So suggestions for Sammy, <laughs> and uh, any anything Sammy's you really future. want us to. <laughs> He's kind of at a crossroads. I don't like that. <laughs> He's at a crossroads right now, so this is your chance to swoop in and be his Spengali. Um, <laughs> next week, uh, Sammy, what are you going to be talking about? Uh, I have two cars to talk about. I have the brand new BMW X5 as well as the BMW i8, uh, the new co- convertible, actually. 
That is very cool. I will be talking about also a BMW, the BMW M2, which I'm which I'm currently driving this week, and I'm going to be going to VIR next week, Virginia International Raceway, to drive radicals and formula cars at something called Formula Experience. I've never been to VIR, and I've never driven anything with an open cockpit, so I'm uh, pretty cool. excited about that. Um, and before we go, I want to thank our guest, Brad. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for and having me. I was wondering if you could let us know where we can find your take on the um, Lamborghini Aventador SVJ. So I wrote two stories, uh, one for digitaltrends.com and another one for European Car. So if, if you Google either one of those, you'll, you'll find it. Two, Excellent. Two stories, Ben. He's putting us to shame, man. <laughs> I know. That's that's twice as many stories as I wrote about the, the Aventador. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for having me, guys. And, and thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will see you next week.